Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Uh, we're going to start the message today uh, talking about acceleration, a word that God put on my heart uh, through the fall for our church into this new year. And uh, we're going to look at this, and uh, we're actually going to start in a, a different place in uh, Amos chapter 9. Amos is uh, one of the smaller books in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book. It's called by scholars a minor prophet, not because it's insignificant, but because it's relatively small compared to like Isaiah and Ezekiel. And, uh, but its message is very powerful. And uh, Amos, like a lot of the Old Testament prophetic books, were written to people in need of restoration. Uh, It was written to people that in some cases had uh, deviated in their walk with God and turned towards lesser things, idols made with their own hands and pursued their own interest and uh, oftentimes reaped the results of that. And Israel was itself uh, uh, taken captive and brought into Babylon in exile, away from their promised land, away from their home. But God always had a message of promise and restoration. As they would come back to him, he promised to restore them, raise them up, and do great things for them. And uh, Amos chapter 9 is no different. Amos 9, we're just going to read three verses from it. Verse 11 uh, is a both speaking to their restoration, but also prophetically speaks to the future of the church as well, as, as it'll be quoted later in the book of Acts. But I want to read this. Amos 9, verse 11. On that day, God says, I will raise up the tabernacle or tent of David which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Three things you see there. He promises to repair, he promises to raise up, and he promises to rebuild. He says that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Before we read further, I want you to see this, because God is speaking to Israel, and he says, here's what I want you to know. What's fallen down is going to be rebuilt. What's fallen in disrepair, what's been neglected, what's been even destroyed is going to be restored. And here he speaks specifically to the tent of David, which was a, a, a point in Israel's history between the, the tabernacle of Moses, which was a tent that was used to carry the presence of God among Israel, and later Solomon's temple, his son would build the great temple in Jerusalem. But before, in between those two moments in Israel's history was a simple tent that David had erected in, in Jerusalem. And this tent was unique in history because it's as he brought the Ark of the Covenant in, which was the place where God's presence would be revealed to his people. It was brought in, and unlike the other temple, and the other tabernacle, there was no veil between man and God. There was no veil that separated uh, those that were there between them and the ark. And, and God, as he's pointing back to this, is talking about something that he wanted to restore and ultimately bring us into in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin, he took our shame, he paid the price, but he did it not only for us to be forgiven of our sins, but so that we could have and experience the presence of God in our lives. We could have a relationship relationship with God. And the veil that separated man, sinful man, from a holy God was torn from top to bottom. And God, as he's speaking to Israel, he says, I want to restore. See, when David set the ark there, he surrounded it with the priests. And unlike the other times in Israel's history where they were offering sacrifices and different things, here they were worshiping before the very place of the presence of God. 
They were singing. Many of the psalms that you have in your Bible were written by those that worship before the ark in these moments. The sons of Asaph and Korah, they're worshiping before the very presence of God, unveiled, unfiltered. And can I just tell you, God doesn't want distance. He wants to remove what separated you and me from him so that we could know him, walk with him, and experience him. As we start a new year, I want to encourage you that, that as God's doing something, we want, to, we want to set our hearts to put God first. Both those that don't know him yet to say yes to Jesus and invite God to come into their life, but also those who've been walking with God to start afresh. Because maybe like this tent of David, parts of your life and your faith and your walk with God have fallen down. And he says, I want to rebuild. I want to restore. I want to raise up what has been fallen down. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've been distant. Maybe you've been far. There's always hope because of Jesus. We can run to the cross. We can run into the arms of our God who raises up what is down, who picks us up when we're broken, who heals us, restores us, and sets us free. That's good news, church. Verse 12, it says that they may possess the remnant of Edom. This is what's quoted in the book of Acts as, as the church is seeing all these Gentiles, the early church made up almost entirely of Jewish believers in Jesus, started seeing all these Gentiles who've grown up. They weren't church folk. They didn't grow up around uh, the religion and the things of God. They were totally unchurched, and they came in because Jesus was saving. It's what he does. And he was seeking and saving the lost. And all these Gentiles are coming in. They said, this is what the Bible told us. This is what Amos prophesied. See, as the tent of David, as our worship is raised up, as our prayer life is raised up, as our walk with God is raised up, something happens. The lost become found. Revival breaks out. Cities are transformed. Communities are changed. I believe as we worship, as we pray, as we set God first, God not only works in our life, but he works in our families. He works in our marriages to make them whole. He brings back our lost sons and daughters. He restores our communities. He brings about his kingdom and his purpose. What's fallen down is meant to be repaired, raised up, and rebuilt. The result of that's what we see in verse 13. He then speaks prophetically about a season, and he's using uh, the language of planting and harvesting. And here's what he says in verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. The one who's starting the process will overtake the one who's completing the process. And the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow to us. He's describing what's going to happen. As God restores, the result is going to be things are going to start moving. Acceleration is going to happen. What normally takes a natural process, he says, I'm going to do something quickly. This is so important, church, because when we've experienced things falling down, there's areas of our life where we think, man, it's going to take me forever to get back where I need to be. It's going to take me so long to get back, to get my family back on track, to get my life back on track. But with God, when we invite Jesus to be first, God can do in a moment what took us a lifetime to mess up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> God can do in a moment. God raises up people a yes to Jesus. God can do so much with a yes. He can do so much when we put him first. I've got three points for you talking about acceleration. You know, we live in a time in history that things are moving fast. Uh, we can barely keep up with the advancement of technology, and there's all kinds of things uh, happening at a very fast, you know, I joked about Mega Man last week playing my Nintendo as a kid, which I was pretty happy about, you know, uh, and this week my kids got to play VR and, uh, and pretend to be light, Jedi Knights with their lightsabers, and uh, I, we almost punch each other out with VR, but... Um, 
It's okay. But it's amazing how technology is advancing and there's an acceleration happening naturally in this time in history. And can I tell you, it's no different spiritually. As we move closer and closer to Jesus returning, things are happening and moving quickly. Not only is there darkness in the world advancing, but can I tell you, the kingdom is advancing. God's not going to be outdone. He saved the best for last. He's going to do something great in the last day's church, something that, he has, that, that hasn't been seen in all of church history. So it's the, it, I believe it's, it's an exciting time to be alive and serving God. He says the days are coming where there's going to be an acceleration of, pro, of this process. And I want to give you three things practically that as we start this year, because this, this time of the year, especially at the very beginning, is a time where people make resolutions and, and we make plans to kind of reorder our, uh, our goals and, and our dreams and even get healthier. And maybe we ate too many desserts for Christmas. Uh, and, and so, so we're, we're trying to rearrange certain things in our life. And I believe that's what we see with point number one is this. Acceleration happens in our lives. Things start moving forward in our life through prioritization. Can I just say, first off, anybody who's handwriting notes, I apologize for me making a point that has prioritization in it. But leave that on the screen. <laughs> but but here's, here's what I want you to recognize. Priorities are important. Priorities are important when when... Life happens, and uh, over time you realize some things that used to matter to you don't matter anymore. Some things that used to be an overwhelming problem are, are seemingly insignificant. Some things that seem to be a, a worthy pursuit and a focus of your attention now just doesn't matter as much as it used to. And, and, and priorities are when we put into focus the things that do matter. The things that are essential. And I, and I, I want to give you a few of those today because I, I think it starts, and I know it starts, with putting Jesus first. We want to set goals and we want to reprioritize things in our family, our finances, our health, our, our, in every area. And I think that's so important. But I want to challenge you as you start this year and in, in all of those to set Jesus first. Because when our spiritual life is healthy, when we have Jesus first, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, he says, you know, people in the world are worried about all these different things, but it hasn't changed. People will always find things to worry about. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do next. He says, here's what you do, should do. See, worry is one of those activities that you feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're not. You stayed up all night worrying, but it didn't really get you anywhere. Um, but, but here's what Jesus says to do. He says, seek first, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, the things you worry about, strive after. He says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going I'm to provide for you. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to be your source, but put what matters first. Seek first. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. We have this on the screen. Philippians 3. Starting in verse 7, Paul is looking back on his life, and he actually had quite a resume in the religious world before Jesus. He had it all together. At least he thought he did. He was, he was the top of his class. He was the best Pharisee of Pharisees. Then he met Jesus. He says, what things were gained to me without God, these things I've actually counted lost for Christ. In other words, I'm realizing not everything is important equally. You know, sometimes our priorities are wrong because 
We live for what's urgent instead of what's important. We live for what's urgent instead of what's important. We react to life instead of follow what's important for eternity. He says, these things I've counted lost for Christ. Indeed, I count everything, all things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, knowing Jesus is better than anything that I may have lost, anything I've laid down, anything I've walked away from. He says, for whom I've counted the loss, uh, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, I count them even as rubbish. Things he used to pursue and value and prize and, and strive after. The accolades of people, success in his field, whatever it was, that he realized that everything by comparison was like rubbish because of knowing the one who created him. And he says, and I, I, I want to be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness. Nobody gets to heaven because they were good enough. He says, I don't, I, I don't have my own righteousness, which is from the law, but with that which is through faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness so we can be made right with God. Uh, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him. Paul says, I, I, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. This word know means to know by experience, not just have information, not just agree with my church's statement of faith, not just believe the right uh, doctrine, but I want to know him by experience. I want to know him for myself. He says, and the power of his resurrection. See, knowing Jesus is to know uh, uh, the power that can change your life. It's to know something real, something life-giving, something life-transforming. And he says, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. If you're pursuing perfection in life, you'll always be frustrated. No, no perfectionists in the room. A <laughs> couple of us. Um, but, you know, following Jesus... Following Jesus and walking with God in discipleship and growing in our relationship with God is not about perfection, but it's about growth. That I'm moving closer to Jesus. I'm 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 not where I I'm not maybe not where I want to be yet, but I'm not where I used to be. And and here's what he says: I haven't attained. I haven't arrived. Can I just help somebody today? You won't arrive this side of heaven. I know, that sounds like bad news. But that should encourage you to set your eyes not on what's not working fully yet in your life and set your eyes on Jesus, who is our perfection, who is our strength. He is our support. He is our help, and he helps us to grow. And as we walk with Jesus, we'll be growing. We'll be more like Jesus. He'll help us to be a better uh, in my case, a better father. I can't be a, a, the father I need to be unless I spend time with Jesus. I can't be the husband I need to be unless I first spend time with Jesus. And so, so he says, I'm not, I haven't attained it. I'm not already perfected, but I press on. I'm moving forward. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I love that. He says, I've got a priority. I, I have a priority. Not looking back. He says, forgetting what's behind. 
There's a lot of people that think the change of a calendar will change their life. But, but we carry with us baggage year to year. And forgetting what's behind is not just pretending like it's not there or it didn't happen. But it's instead bringing it to Jesus. We bring our failures to Jesus and he forgives us. We bring the hurt that others have caused. We bring it to Jesus and he heals our heart. And we release and forgive Not because what they did is okay, but because we've been forgiven so much. And when we release others, it sets us free, forgetting what's behind. Come on, don't don't leave your baggage in 2021. Forgetting what's behind. This is one thing I do. I've got to have my priority. I've got to have my focus. I have to, I have, you know, there, there's something I found working with people, it just naturally speaking, that have been successful in an area of their life. They're focused. And it's true in our spiritual life. When we're focused, when we have Jesus first, we have Jesus first. We're inviting God to do what only he can do, forgetting what's behind, pressing on to what's ahead. Do you know God has something ahead for you? The reason why you don't want to get stuck looking in the rearview mirror, stuck in your past, what you've done, what others have done to you, is because there's something ahead of you that God has prepared that's not, don't don't, don't ever settle when he has something ahead. And don't ever go back when he has something ahead. And what's ahead of you is worth letting go of something behind you. What's ahead of you is worth laying some things down, rearranging some priorities. It's worth it because what's ahead of you is greater than what's behind you. And and sometimes it's easy to say, I'm going to let go of the things behind because they were bad. None of us want the bad stuff. I don't want to look back at that. But what about the good stuff that's kept us stuck from moving forward? I had somebody years ago tell me, I, I was in a season where I was pretty discouraged myself, and something about being in a pit is you'll always find other people that want to decorate the pit with you. Pity parties are not fun. <laughs> and, 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 and I had, uh, I had somebody who was down themselves, and, and they had walked away from something God had called them to. And they said something to me that I still remember this day. They said, Do you ever feel like the best thing you've ever done is behind you? And at the moment, I felt like it was. But after I got out of the pit and got time with Jesus and began to put him first again, began to set my eyes on Jesus again, began to reorder my life, suddenly God began to remind me, I have something ahead. Stop looking at what's behind. Besides, the good old days weren't so great anyway. Okay. There's the sermon. Um, Verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can I give you some practical things? Here's what we do. Here's how we set Jesus first. We start with God's word. We start with God's word every day. Whether it's five minutes or an hour, whatever you've got, just begin to spend time in God's word. Let God speak to you through his word. God's word will encourage you. God's word will strengthen you. God's word will also challenge you. 
Jesus said that if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you'll abide, spend time in his word, and as you do, you'll know the truth. And and you may have heard this, the truth will what? Make you free. It's not just any truth, it's not just any information. A lot People know more now at this time in human history than ever before, but I don't think they're more free. Because what they know isn't helping them. But when you know God's word, he, he, he exposes lies we've been given and we've believed about God, about ourselves, and about others. And he peels that back so that we can be free to believe something that's true. God's word is where we start. We, start, we also spend time with Jesus in prayer. Prayer is not a religious ritual or exercise. Well, I don't know how to pray because I don't know the right words. When you were a kid and you ran up to your mom and dad, you know, my, my kids run, I have three children, and when they're really little, when they were hungry, they still do this, when they're hungry, they're looking at me. Dad, where's the food? It's actually worse now, because my 12-year-old, he eats, and then he eats, and then he eats some more. I'm like, son, inflation, stop eating. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. And, and so, so, so here's what happens, though. We, we, have this, we have this recognition that, that when, we, when we spend time with God, we go to God with our needs. Just like a child to their father, we say, God, I need your help. And that's good. We should go to God. He's our source. We go to God. But prayer is more than just bringing our needs to God. It's conversation. It's spending time with God. It, you don't have to have the right words. You know, imagine if you had to write a script every time you talk to your spouse. Got to say all the right words. Some realize, yeah, I have to say all the right words. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, we worship. Worship isn't just the beginning of a service. It's not the warm-up for a message. Worship is us pouring out our love to God. Do you know my prayer time has become less about my needs and more about him? The closer I've been with him. And it's okay to bring your needs to God. We need to. But here's what I want us to recognize. The worship is putting him first. It's setting Jesus first. It's giving him our affection and our attention first. We also set our priorities in giving. We honor God and we say, God, I'm going to put you first. I do that every time that, that God provides for me and my household. I put God first because I recognize that jobs are a resource. Businesses are a resource. But God is my source in every season. And so I want to put God first in that area and in every area. Number two, let's, let's go through this quickly. Number two is this. Acceleration happens through association. Uh, you leave that up for a moment. Acceleration happens through association. See, the relationships in my life are either pushing me forward or detouring me. They're either advancing, and God intends that he'll place people in our life that when we're rightly connected and it's a life-giving relationship, it actually advances all of us. And that's what the church is to be. The church should be the most life-giving group of people on planet Earth. The devil fights hard to divide, to make Christians bitter, to make us offended, to make us gossipers, all that crud, because he knows that if you and I actually iron sharpened iron and began to lift each other up, we would see people advance. We would advance. Acceleration happens through association. Sometimes we're one God relationship, one God connection away from everything changing in our life. 
The opposite's true. <laughs> Israel, God sets Israel free from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. He delivers them and he brings them out by his power and he brings them through the wilderness and he provides for them. He gives them food every day and he provides water supernaturally. He does all this awesome stuff for them. And then he brings them to a promised land that he promised to give them generations before to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, this is your land now and forever. And he brings this whole group of people that have been set free, and he brings them to the promised land. They come to the border, which is the Jordan River, and, and, and they begin to send, they gather 12 people, one representative from each tribe of Israel, and they send them over and they say, go check it out. Go look at what God has promised, but also, you know, see if it's dangerous, if it's going to cost us something, if it's convenient. Go check it out. <laughs> and so that's what they do. These 12 go, and they check out the promised land. They come back, and they say, oh, man, the, the fruit is everything God said it was. You know, the big old grapes they carry on these poles, and they, they're showing everything. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything God said. But... There's a, there's a couple problems. They're strong. Their walls are too big. We, we can't do it. And do you know what blows me away? Scholars say that the camp of Israel was somewhere between a million, possibly as many as three million people, and at the word of ten people, they didn't cross the Jordan, and they turned back to the desert. And they spent 40 years, an entire generation, except for the two spies that said, let's go for it. Joshua and Caleb. They said, we, we got it. God, God's promises. I know there's enemies. I know there's problems. I know there's challenges. But God's with us, and we're going to do this. Those are the only two guys that survived that entire generation. That's sad. An entire generation of people missed their promise from God, all because of who was influencing their heart the most. And so the Bible says to guard your heart above all else. I can't be around bitterness and not get affected by it. I can't allow offended people pour into my heart with gossip and slander of others and not allow it to affect my heart. See, what's in my heart is what's going to come from my life. People who don't deal with the issues of their heart always carry that pain and put it even on their own children and upon their families and upon others around them. And, and that's why God wants, he says, guard your heart. <laughs> At the word of 10 people, the entire nation, an entire generation turned back. I know that there's a lot of people today that are being influenced by a voice of shame, by a voice of fear, by a voice of discouragement. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, this is what they said. Where can we go up? This is Israel. This is the crowd. This is the, the mass of people. They said, our brethren, these 10, have discouraged our hearts. What's influencing your heart today? Is it keeping you from moving forward? Is it words that people have said? Is it things that they've done? What's influencing your heart? You know, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, and there it's specifically talking about 
marriage relationships, believers, unbelievers, all that. But, but here's, here's what I want you to catch. To be yoked is to be joined to someone. The most important relationship of your life is your marriage outside of Jesus. That's the most important relationship you'll ever have. And then your relationship with your kids and your family. And, 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 but, but I want you to catch this because we are, can, can I just, I'm going to help somebody this year. As a Christian, you're called to love everybody. I know it was about as popular as when I said it first service too. You're called to love everybody. People you disagree with. People, people that aren't nice to you. People that cut you off. <laughs> uh, you're, you're supposed to love everybody. But you know you don't have to be yoked to everybody. Do you know what the difference is? When I'm loving you, I'm influencing you. But when I'm yoked to you, we're influencing each other. And whoever's stronger is going to pull and set the course. When two oxen were yoked together, the stronger one would always direct the weaker. And so I've got to be careful, what am I yoked to? What am I joined to? Because it will influence me. My relationships and yours will either accelerate us towards God and his purpose or detour us away. The wrong relationship can pull you from your destiny while the right relationship can push you into it. I want you to see this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. There's this guy named Saul. You know him as Paul. But uh, Saul, Saul is, um, Jason, if you want to get ready. Saul is the persecutor, greatest persecutor of the early church. He's throwing Christians in prison left and right. And, and he gets saved one day. He radically encounters Jesus. And then he shows up to church and nobody wants to sit by him. Can you blame him? Like, this guy's, you know, basically an anti-church terrorist, and he's trying to destroy the followers of Jesus, and, and yet he encounters Jesus, and his life has changed, and, and I love that story. And nobody believes him, though. That's the sad part, except there's one guy. His name's Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement, because maybe you don't have somebody to lift you, but you can lift somebody else. Barnabas sees something in Saul that nobody else sees, and he brings him to the church. We won't read it for time, but Acts 9, 27, 28. He brings him to the church, to the apostles, to leaders. He says, this is what God's done in his life. Do you know there never would have been, I believe, there never would have been an apostle Paul turning the world upside down if there hadn't been a Barnabas to see something inside of him. God used Barnabas to pull. In fact, Barnabas was his, the first part of his journey was his greatest companion. They changed the world together. What can happen if you are a Barnabas in the life of somebody else? Third and final point is this. Acceleration happens through activation. Activation. What do I mean by activation? God has placed purpose in every single life in this room. You have a calling from God. You have a purpose from God. And you have gifts from God. Most people in life never discover what they're created for. Even fewer pursue it. But you know, there's something on the inside of you, but it may be dormant right now. And I want to challenge you as we move into this new year to use what God has placed on the inside of you. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 is this, that the communication of your faith may become effective or powerful by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. He says, your, your impact in the world is going to be directly related to recognizing what's on the inside of you.
You have something on the inside of you that God wants to awaken, stir up, call to. Do you know there's people in the world that you know, we're, we're, we're waiting on God to do something and he's waiting on his church. We're not created to be spectators. It says that he gave leaders, pastors, evangelists, all, all that for the equipping of the saints. Saints is not a person on a stained glass window with a halo over their head. It's you. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Church should be two things. It should be a hospital for the broken. That no matter where we've fallen down, God can restore, rebuild, raise us up. It's also boot camp. It's where we get equipped with the things God has placed in our life and we get launched to make a difference in the lives of other people. Would you stand to your feet? We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.